grab your Bible. It's time for Andrew and Mark. <laughs> Can we start with prayer? Let's start with prayer. Okay, you start this time. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. For us at the at the fall of night, the beginning of our shalom, our Shabbat shalom, our peaceful rest, we thank you that you are here with us tonight. Um, for those who would be listening, whatever time they're listening to this, Father, we know that you are faithful and have drawn them to listen to your word, and we pray more importantly they would read it. We thank you that through all the adversity of this week, all the trials, you have been faithful. You have been found faithful for us. And I pray that you would guide us through this time of reading your word and draw us closer to you and give us greater understanding as we turn the pages. In the name of your Son, our Savior, Jesus. Amen. All right. How's it going, babe? It's been a day. It's been a week. It's been a day all week. It's been a week and a day. I'll give that one to you. I'm not going to... Like it's felt like a week. <clears throat> you ever seen The Jerk? It's been a, a few decades, babe. The first time I met you, it was like a week. And the second day, I didn't see you, so it was just like a day. Like, and then the third day. It's this whole thing. <laughs> I can't believe you're quoting The Steve Jerk. Steve Martin, if you ever want to... You're quoting the jerk, and yeah. I'm 10 years older than you, and you're quoting the jerk? Yep. What's up with that? I love that movie. Oh, my gosh. But anyway, Steve Martin, if you're listening. Doubt well it. Doubt okay. it. Doubt Ooh. It. Doubt it. You know what? I have faith. I love Steve. Yeah? I love Steve. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. I love right. it. Put him on your prayer list if you're uh, Keith, our listener. Steve <laughs> Martin goes on the prayer list. Susan, come on now. <laughs> All right, 1 Samuel. Turn your pages or press your tablets. But we're going to, uh, what? That's what they're doing. They're either on their phones, tablets, or pages. Press, maybe tap. Okay, tap your tablets. We're in 1 Samuel tonight, 13. And 14. And we're, 14. We're, um, I almost said we're heathens. We're not heathens. We're no. saved, but we're busy. We, we've been... I've been through it. For those of you joining us for the first time, maybe this is your first podcast with us listening on, um, we do try our hardest to do a daily Bible reading together and four sections of the Bible we will read. And it takes anywhere from 45 minutes to an hour because we stop and talk and have some fantastic banter. We think it's fantastic. Uh, but sometimes life gets in the way and we might miss a day. So We'll catch up by doing two days worth because we really want to be diligent through this. This is one of those times you're going to get a double dose of the word. So we're doubling up and I will read 1 Samuel 13 and 14. Uh, bride here, Andrea can stop me at any time. We jump into uh, a um, commentary. She uses the Ryrie Study Bible. New American Standard. New American Standard. Tonight I'm actually trying something a little different. I went with the Logo software I'm reading from the Lexham English Bible, and it also has a nice little commentary there on the bottom verse verse. So we're going to start it up. Here we go. 1 Samuel 13. Saul rules over Israel. Saul was 30 years old at the beginning of his reign. Oh, mine says 40. And he reigned 42 years 32. over Israel. Uh-oh. 
got a discrepancy already. Um, it says Uh-oh, the here. original numbers may have been lost in transmission. Totally changes the application here. 32 or 42. Well, here we go. I got a little note that says the, uh, a few Septuagint manuscripts have 30, mm-hmm. but the number of years is missing from the Masoretic yeah. Hebrew text. Anyway, I don't think it really changes the thing, but... Yeah. All right. Sorry. I digress. No worry. No worries. Let's say he was 30 or 40 and either reigned for 42 years or 32 years. But let's just, what we know he was there, history does not deny that. Middle to old age. Middle to old. All right, here we go. Back to the beginning. Saul was 30 years old at the beginning of his reign. And he reigned for 42 years over Israel. He chose for himself 3,000 from Israel. 2,000 of these were with Saul at Michmash in the hill country of Bethel. And a 1,000 were with Jonathan at Gibeah in Benjamin. He sent away the rest of the people, each to his tent. Jonathan defeated the garrison of the Philistines that was at Geba, and the Philistines heard about it. I would hope they heard about it because they got defeated. Anyway... Then Saul blew the trumpet throughout all the land, saying, Let the Hebrews hear. And all Israel did hear, saying, Saul has defeated the garrison of the Philistines, and also Israel has become a stench among the Philistines. So the people were called out after Saul at Gilgal. And the Philistines assembled to fight with Israel, 30,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen, and an army as numerous as sand, which is on the seashore. And they came up and encamped at Michmash, east of Beth-Avon. Pause. Pausing. So another translation thing. Some translations read 3,000 instead of 30,000. And it says the hill country where the battle was fought would not accommodate the larger number. And I think, you know, it is good to be accurate. Mm-hmm. So... There's still a lot of people. Well, 3,000 is... I don't have a chariot. No. I'm sitting here thinking, this is our pause we're going to read in a second. Sorry, Keith. Two thoughts that came through my my mind reading this in my comedic mind. Number one is when it says that the the Israel became a stench among the, the Philistines, I suddenly heard the rock screaming out, Can you smell what the rock is cooking? I have no idea what you're talking about. I know she doesn't know, but some of you will get that. And, I like The uh, Rock, though. Well, The Rock's the man. Yeah. Um, anyway, and then over here to the 30,000 chariots, 6,000 horsemen. My mind went to um, somebody got to pick up after them horses. So. I just thought. That's I a lot of scooping. I trusted in those chariots and horses. That's a lot of scooping. You okay. didn't get my... I did. Some men trust in chariots. Chariots, we okay. will trust. Let's get back to it. God. Let's get back to it. Let's pick up from verse 6. When the men of Israel saw that it was too difficult for them because the army was hard-pressed, the people hid themselves in the caves, in the thorn bushes, in the cliffs, in the vaults, and in the wells. Some of the Hebrews crossed over the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead, but Saul was still at Gilgal. And all the army followed him trembling. He waited seven days according to the appointed time Samuel determined. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the army started to slip away from him. 
So Saul said, Bring here to me the burnt offering and the fellowship offering. Then he offered up the burnt offering. Just as he finished him, I'm sorry, just as he finished the offering, the burnt sacrifice, Samuel was coming. So Saul went out to meet him and to bless him. But Samuel said, What have you done? Saul said, Because I saw the army was scattering from me, and you didn't come at the appointed time, and that the Philistines had gathered at Michmash. Therefore I said, Now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal, and I have not yet implored the face of Yahweh. So I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. Okay, pause. Pausing. So, commentary. Saul was disobedient to God's spokesman. Rather than waiting on Samuel, he offered a burnt offering to unite the people and prepare for war. He resorted to situation ethics rather than biblical ethics and then offered excuses for his conduct but no valid reasons. And then it says Saul tried to justify himself instead of confessing his sin. So, I guess... I mean, I remember oh boy. reading about the offerings, but um, was Saul not allowed to? Because he wasn't a priest. Correct. Boom. See? It's a big guys, deal. Guys, if you have not read a lot of the Old Testament, it really does help to like get some context from it. Because otherwise, I'm like, like, why can't he offer? It seems like a nice thing to offer, but it's because he didn't have the authority and the position to do that. To be specific, he was not of the tribe of Levi. Oh, right, Levi. He was right. of the tribe of Benjamin. Right. But he also was not sanctified. Yeah. Priests were sanctified. They went through ritual mm-hmm. for sanctification in order to provide the ability to offer sacrifices to the Lord. But I think the bigger issue here is that he was impatient and wasn't trusting. Exactly. And that is the bigger like, issue. I can't relate to this at all. Getting impatient and wanting to like take care of things myself. I've never done that. Me neither. I've I never don't have done that. plants that are dying because I got them too early. I have no idea what that's talking yeah. about. Yeah. Okay. All right. I've never done things my own and way. Then he, and then what do you do when you get in trouble? Well, it's your fault. Your you fault. came late. Didn't you, you know? You gave me the woman. We've all done it. This is not, we can't, there's no connections to people today. Here. No, none at all. Okay. All right, here we go. Verse 13. Then Samuel said to Saul, you have behaved foolishly. You have not kept the command of Yahweh your God, which he commanded you. For then Yahweh would have established your kingdom forever over Israel. But now your kingdom will not endure. Yahweh has sought for himself a man according to his own heart. And Yahweh has appointed him as leader over his people because you have not kept what Yahweh commanded you. Okay. Hmm? Mm. Are you ready for this? I got some thoughts, but okay. Well, right, read this. I should probably say, not my deep thoughts. Okay, disobedience may eliminate opportunities for service by disqualifying one from a position of leadership. Amen to that. Ooh, that stings a little bit. Stings a lot, but let me. Can I draw something here on this? Or do you got some more to say? I think Ryrie said it. Ryrie's jumping. Here's what I'm thinking. If we went back to the end of Judges, Samuel's all up, you know, he's, when Samuel starts judging and prophesying, Israel comes to him and what do they say? We want a king. Yeah. We want a king who looks like us. We want a king after our own we heart. Want a tall and handsome king. Yeah, we want a king after our own heart. So what does God do? God says, I'm going to set up a man after my own heart. That was David. That's David. Okay. So what I'm saying is we're getting 
we're getting it's God's... It's a natural consequence thing. It's, it is a consequence, but it's also God said, you tried it your way. Right. I told you this was going to happen. Right. But now I'm going to do it my way. Yep. You wanted him after your heart, and he's a failure. Okay. I want him after my heart. Now, we know David will fail, but he will always press in to repentance and humility to Yahweh. Which enables God to show his grace and mercy. Yes. David will confess his sin. If David rocked it, he wouldn't need God's grace and mercy. That's right. All right. Sorry. This is how we do it. Verse 15. I like this, babe. I never would have been like, oh, first Samuel's cool. Oh, it's one of my favorites. Well, it's your middle name, dude. I know. Can I put my arm over? You're so biased. Right. Mark Samuel. Mark Samuel. My two favorite Bible um, chapters are our books are Mark and Samuel. <laughs> okay. All right, here we go. Uh, then Samuel got up and went up from Gilgal to Gibeah of Benjamin. And Saul mustered the people who were found with him, about 600 men. Saul and Jonathan, his son, and the army that remained with them were staying in Geba of Benjamin. And the Philistines encamped at Michmish. The raiders went out from the camp of the Philistines in three divisions. One division turned on the road to Ophrah toward the land of Shaul. Shaul, Shaul. One division turned on the road to Beth Horon. And one turned on the road toward the border overlooking the valley of Zeboim toward the wilderness. Now no skilled craftsmen could be found in all the land of Israel. For the Philistines had said, so that the Hebrews cannot make swords or spears for themselves. So all Israel went down to the Philistines, each to have his plowshare, his mattock, his axe, and his iron plowshare sharpened. The charge was two-thirds of a shekel for the plowshare, and for the mattock, a third of a shekel for the pick, and for the axe, and to set the goading sticks. So on the day of battle, there was not a sword or a spear found in the hands of all the army that was with Saul and Jonathan. But Saul and his son Jonathan had them. Now the garrison of the Philistines went out to the pass of Michmash. Okay. Pause. Oh, there's so much here. Okay, so what I got in 19, blacksmith, the Philistines, Philistines, had a monopoly on iron and metalworking craftsmen until the time of David, accounting in large measure for their superior military power. You know... Doesn't that feel like maybe you're not a superior military power? You just have like better toys. Mm-hmm. Seems a Which, little. Um, that kind of makes you a superior military power. But um, it's not because you're smarter. Kind well, of is. I guess you could say you're smarter. I don't know. It kind of makes that okay, point. Okay, but I'm a little confused. So, neither sword nor spear was found in the hands of any of the people who were with Saul and Jonathan, but they were found with Saul and his son Jonathan. Yes, Saul and Jonathan. They were the only two. There were two swords. Saul had a sword. Jonathan had a sword. There were 600 men who were out there barehanded. Oh. And this was not 600 martial artists. I get a D for reading comprehension tonight. That's right. All right. So. All right. Well, I want to hear what happens. Well, here's the kicker, though. They actually went to the Philistines... With their only iron implements, which were, which were harvesting tools, farming implements, and said, here's all of our iron, please sharpen these for us. So they went to their enemy to have their weapons sharpened, 
and their enemy just simply kept their 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 weapons. That's why they didn't have them. Does that make sense? That's that's. Wait, where did you get that? From? I don't know if I got that. Now, no skilled craftsman could be found in all the land of Israel. Yeah. For the Philistines said, so that the Hebrews cannot make swords or spears for themselves. So, all Israel went down to the Philistines, and they took all of their oh. their plowshares, their mattocks, their axe, their all of them to be sharpened. Okay. The charge was two thirds of a shekel or one third of a shekel, depending on what it was. And so there in verse 22. So on the day of battle, there was no sword or spear found in the hand of all the army with Solomon's Jonathan because the Philistines had them. Yeah. I know. There's okay. so much I could say right now. I'm and then he to. also said for 21, what you just read, mm-hmm. a better translation would be kind of sounds egotistical. He says that. Okay. Better, it's funny, um, a better translation would be, and the charge was a pim, which is two-thirds of a shekel, for the goads and mattocks, for the forks and axes, and to fix the goad points. Oh, sorry. You know, it's bad when your podcast person is yawning at themselves. I'm so sorry. Keith, I'm so sorry. For sharpening potential weapons to be used against them, the Philistines naturally charged a high price. Yeah. Since you might kill me with this, it's going to cost you. It's going to cost you a double. so weird. And by the way, we're not even going to give them back to you. We're just going to take your oh money and your weapons. It's That's like the most civil, weird thing. Like, Well, yeah. then Israel said, okay. Yeah, I'm good. Okay. Yeah, here you go. Let's go. All right. 14 is Four. long, babe. Let's, Let's just through. do it. Let's just do it. All right. One day, Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to his armor bearer, come on. Let's go over to the garrison of the Philistines. And that's over there. Oh, you're ad-libbing a little bit. I am a little bit. Uh, I wanted to make it you know, real. I like but it. he didn't tell his father. Now Saul was staying at the outskirts of Gibeah under the pomegranate tree that was in Migrin. You know where that is? The pomegranate tree in Migrin? Over there? You got that? <laughs> and the troops that were with him, there were about 600 men. Now Ahijah, or Ahijah, the son of Ahitub, or Ahotub, the brother of Ichabod, the son of Phineas, the son of Eli, the priest of Yahweh at Shiloh, was Pause. carrying an ephod. An ephod was used to consult God in a time of crisis, done by means of the Urim and Thummim attached to the breastplate of the ephod. What in the world are we talking about? It goes on the chest of the priestly garments. By yes and no questions, the wrong choice between two alternatives. It sounds like a, um, could be eliminated. It sounds like a magic eight ball. Let's say it's magic eight ball. It goes also in line with um, casting, the casting lots. lots yeah. Right. Something I mean, I ca- I do all of my decisions by ephod. True. Okay. And especially if you're in uh, someone named Ahijah. Anyway. Okay. The troops did not know that Jonathan had gone. Verse four. Now between the passes where Jonathan sought to go over to the garrison of the Philistines, there was a crag of rock on one side, and a crag of rock on the other side. The name of the one was Bozes, and the name of the other is Senna. The one crag on the north was opposite Michmash, and the other on the south was opposite Geba. So Jonathan said to his armor bearer, Come, let's go over <clears throat> the garrisons of these uncircumcised. Perhaps Yahweh will act for us, for there's no hindrance for Yahweh to save by many or by few. And his armor bearer said, Do all that is in your heart, 
that you're inclined to do. I am with you all the way. Then Jonathan said, look, we're about to go over to the men and we will show ourselves to them. If they say to us, wait until we reach you, then we'll stand where we are and not go up to them. But if they say, come up to us, then we're going to go up to them. For Yahweh has given them into our hand and this will be the sign for us. So the two of them showed themselves to the garrison of the Philistines. And the Philistines said, The Hebrews are coming from the holes in which they have hidden themselves. Look what crawled out of the rocks. Yeah. Then the men of the garrison answered Jonathan and his armor bearer, Come on up to us. We want to show you something. Then Jonathan said to his armor bearer, Come up after me, for Yahweh has given them into the hand of Israel. So Jonathan went up on his hands and feet with his armor bearer after him. They fell before Jonathan, and then his armor bearer would kill them after him. So it was the first attack in which Jonathan and his armor bearer killed about 20 men within half a furrow in an acre of an open field. Then there was terror in the camp, in the open field, and among all the army of the garrison, even the raiders trembled. The earth shook, and it became a very great panic. And the lookouts of Saul and Gibeah and ben of Benjamin saw that the multitude surged back and forth. Saul said to the troops that were with him, Please call the roll and see who's gone from us. So they called the roll and found that Jonathan and his armor bearer were not there. Then Saul said to Ahijah, Bring near the ark of God, for the ark of God was at that time with the Israelites. While Saul was still speaking to the priest, the tumult of the camp of the Philistines increased more and more. So Saul said to the priest, Withdraw your hand. <coughs> then Saul and all the troops who were with him were assembled on command and came up to the battle. And look, each Philistine's sword was against his friend, and there was a great confusion. The Hebrews who had been for the Philistines previously had gone up with them into the camp all around. Even they joined the Israelites who were with Saul and Jonathan. All the men of Israel who had hidden themselves in the hill country of Ephraim heard that the Philistines had fled, so even they pursued the costly the closely in the battle. So on the day Yahweh delivered Israel and the battle shifted to Beth Avon. Alright. Pause. Pausing at twenty-three. Okay. So first thing, wasn't Ben wasn't um Jonathan Saul's son? Yep. He had to take a roll to know that his own son wasn't there. Well, you know, six hundred guys. I know, but it's his son. Come on, son. Exactly. Okay. Um an earthquake added to the panic of the soldiers. Um, and then the ark that says for chapter, verse 18, he said, bring the ark of God here. And it says the ark at this time was at Kiriath Jerim from which it was not removed for 20 years. And that's from chapter seven. It may however been brought to Gibeah temporarily. The Septuagint, sorry, mm -hmm. LXX reads ephod, an object that could have been used for decision-making. So... I don't understand. So it, does that mean that the Ark was seen as an ephod? Or does that mean that... What do you think that means? Well, Why no, do you go to They're two different things. And the belief, I think, um, historically here, we saw that the Ark, with all the damage it did in um, mm -hmm. Philistine, right? In the Philistine yeah. land. Philistia. The ark caused sickness and death, and finally they remember they just sent it out. Yeah. So Israel brought the ark to war all the time. Okay. And so Saul is bringing it out 
perhaps in the hopes that the very sight of it will cause the Philistines to panic. Okay. Or perhaps he's hoping that the Lord, who the belief was, you know, he sat between the cherubim. Yeah. So that he would rush out and do justice against the Philistine army. Okay. And then for 19, it says, It happened while Saul talked to the priest that the commotion in the camp continued to increase. So Saul said to the priest, Withdraw your hand. So Ryrie says, I.e., don't consult God now. There's no time. Is that how you took that? Yep. So that doesn't seem super wise, right? Yeah. And then for 20... See, I've got my note here in the uh, Logos Bible. Withdraw your hand. Saul tells the priest to stop inquiring of God with regard to the battle by interrupting the effort to seek God's counsel. Saul reveals that he is not fit to lead God's people. The weird thing, too, is in 18, Saul's the one that said to bring the ark there. Mm-hmm. The Septuagint, ancient Greek translation of the Old Testament, has the word ephod in place of ark. This probably represents the original wording. The high priest wore the ephod mentions uh, in uh, Exodus 28.4. It mentions of the ephod, uh, in First Samuel, likely indicate the presence of Urim and Thummim, which were used to discern God's will. So perhaps you're right in the first time because they're going back and forth with wording, ark or ephod. So maybe it's a mistranslation to say ark? Um, it's possibly that it was wrong, so the Septuagint had it right when they, when they said ephod. <laughs> Bless you. Okay. Okay. Um, this is us working through it, Keith. Yep. We can get it wrong. That's why we read it out loud to each other. We okay. consult other things. And then 21 and 22, with the report of victory, the Israelite deserters or mercenaries returned, and those who had avoided the initial confrontation joined in the battle. Okay. I'll be taking auditions for a reading partner if she keeps yawning. Oh. I never would replace you. Keith may be in a pinch you know but I want we, to fill in. You know what we need to do? We need to start this earlier. Because, I'm all for it. I, I because there. it's like, I'm, I am not actually, like I'm not bored. I know, it's late. Yeah. Anyway, okay. sorry guys. Sorry guy. <laughs> sorry, well, yeah, Susan. Sorry Keith. No, Susan's probably falling asleep by now. Probably. All right. Are we in 20, can I go? 24. 24. Saul's oath leads to trouble. Womp, womp, womp. Now the men of Israel were hard pressed on that day because Saul had made the army take an oath saying this, cursed be the man who eats any food until evening when I, when I will have avenged myself on my enemies. So no one of the army tasted any food. Now all the people of the land used to go into the forest for there was honey on the surface of the ground. Ooh, so much honey. There's a land flowing with it. Ew, you have to like, Scrape it off the ground? Oh, I would imagine they're not eating the dirt. There's just lots of honey. When the army came to the forest, look, there was honey flowing. Okay, But flowing. no one put his mouth, his hand to his mouth, for the army was afraid of the oath. However, Jonathan had not heard about the oath of his father with the army. So he extended the end of the staff, which was in his hand. He dipped it into the honeycomb, and then he put his hand to his mouth, and his eyes gleamed. It was so good. He was hungry, and he was getting some pure energy right there. I know I got some fresh local honey, and it tastes so good right now. I just think sticky. Mm. I know you do, but... I know. It's, well, but yeah, it is good. Then a man from the army informed him and said, Ah, Jonathan, your father made the army swear a solemn oath saying, Crispy the man who eats that food today. So we're exhausted. 
And then Jonathan said, My father has brought trouble on the land. See now that my eyes have brightened because I tasted a little bit of this honey. How much more could have been done if the troops had eaten freely today from the plunder of their enemies that they had found? For now the loss among the Philistines is not great. Okay. So it says, sorry, Mm -hmm. I just, I get behind. So desirous was Saul of avenging himself against his enemies. And didn't they win anyway? Well, they, Jonathan did some winning and then they did some other winning. Yeah. Avenging his enemies that he neglected the needs of his own men and swore a foolish oath that almost cost the life of his son. Yeah. The, uh, my quick little note here just simply says that Saul is seeing this more as a personal vendetta, not a holy war. It's pretty intense. Yeah. Okay. Am I going on? Uh, let's see here, verse thirty-one. Yeah. They defeated the Israelites that uh, the ooh, the Israelites defeated the Philistines that day from Michmash to Ajalon, and the troops were very weary, no food, no energy, lot of fighting. Then the troops took the plunder. They took sheep and cattle and calves and slaughtered them on the ground, and the troops ate them all with the blood. Ew. Not supposed to do that. Yeah. Uh, oh, the, yeah. Physically weakened, they disobeyed the prohibition against eating meat with blood. And that's probably chef. Yes. Is that partly a a dietary safety thing? It's 100% safety thing. So today, when you have a, an animal butchered for... Butcher? Butchered for preparation. Sorry, my next murder. That's what that was oh. a reference to. Sorry. Um, the first thing they'll do is they do drain the blood from the animal, and then they remove all the organs. And then they cut up all the... But what's the problem with eating the blood? Well, the the Lord made it clear in the Levitical law and the dietary requirements in the Torah that the blood is unclean. But the blood is... Um, to prepare it, actually, it makes, it makes it very difficult to cook. But it also is a, a cleanliness factor, a safety hazard. So it could cause some, like, physical harm. Yeah. Okay. So thank you. There's a purpose behind that. All right. There's actually a physical purpose, but there's also spiritual right. symbolism on blood gives life. Oh, yeah. gotcha. So there's a couple of reasons. Okay. Um, yeah. So where are we at? At uh, 33. Because you interrupt me so beautifully. I love it. I'm sorry. I love it. So they reported it to Saul saying, look, the troops are sinning against Yahweh by eating the animals with the blood. And he said, you've dealt treacherously. Roll to me a large stone today. The rolling stones are in the Bible. Oh, gosh. It's true. Well, we'll see in the New Testament. Then Saul said, Disperse yourselves among the troops and say to them, Bring to me each one his ox and each his sheep and slaughter them in this place and eat. But do not sin against Yahweh by eating the animals with the blood. So all the troops brought them, each leading his ox in his hand that night and slaughtered it there. Then Saul built an altar to Yahweh. It was the first altar he built to Yahweh. Saul said, let's go down after the Philistines by night and let us plunder them until the morning light. He's rhyming. And let us not leave alive a man among them. That's so tight. So they said, do all that is good in your eyes. But the priest said, let us draw near to God here. So Saul inquired of God, should I go down after the Philistines? Will you give them into the hand of Israel? But he didn't answer him on that day. So then Saul said, Come here, all you leaders of the people, so that what we find out what the sin was this day. 
For as Yahweh lives, who delivers Israel, I swear that even if it is Jonathan, my son, he will certainly die. But nobody from all the army answered him. Then he said to all Israel, You will be on one side, and I and my son Jonathan will be on the other side. And the army said to Saul, Do what is right in your eyes. And Saul said to Yahweh, the God of Israel, Render a decision perfectly. Jonathan and Saul were chosen by Lot, and the people went out. Then Saul said, Let them cast a lot between me and my son Jonathan. And Jonathan was chosen. So Saul said, Tell me what you've done. So Jonathan told him, and he said, I merely tasted a little honey at the end of the staff that was in my hand. Here I am. I must die. Then Saul said, So may God do to me and more. You will certainly die today, Jonathan. But the army said to Saul, Must Jonathan die who accomplished this great victory in Israel? Far from it. As Yahweh lives, not a hair from his head will fall to the ground, for he has worked with God this day. So the army ransomed Jonathan, and he didn't die. Saul went up for pursuing the Philistines, and the Philistines went to their place. So Saul took up the kingship over Israel, and he fought all around against his enemies, against Moab and the Ammonites, Edom, kings of Zobah, the, uh, and against the Philistines. He inflicted punishment against all who rebelled. He acted bravely and defeated the Amalekites and rescued Israel from the hand of those who plundered it. Now the sons of Saul were Jonathan, Ishvi, and Malkishua. The names of his two daughters were as follows. The name of his firstborn was Merib, and the younger Michal. The name of Saul's wife was Ahinoam, and the daughter of Ahimaaz. And the name of the commander of the army was Abner. Yeah, just Abner. The son of Ner, Saul's uncle. Man, what is Ner? Ner. What do you want to name him? Ner. Ner. Nah. Ner. Abner. Sorry, one of our listeners is going to be named Abner. I know. You can email Let us. Let me go viral. It's Andrea and Mark A at gmail.com. Now, Kish was the father of Saul, but Ner, the father of Abner, was the son of Abiel. Warfare was severe against the Philistines all the days of Saul. Whenever Saul said, saw anyone who was a mighty warrior or any brave man, he conscripted them into service. All right. So first off, what the heck? That's all I got to say. So much. So 39, um, as the Lord lives, who lives Israel, though it is in Jonathan, my son, he shall surely die. Yeah. Does your say the same thing? Because that doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah. Well, what he's saying is, okay, um, right here, I got verse 10. Another rash vow, Saul would kill the sinner, even if it turns out to be his own sin. Okay. Remember, this is not necessarily a holy war. Saul is really ticked off at the Philistines. He wants to take them out. Yeah. He doesn't even know that Jonathan's over there taking out 20 with just one sword. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so Saul is feeling that the Lord isn't with him because it's so difficult to destroy the enemy. But Saul made it difficult by not letting anybody eat. So yeah. there was no energy. There was nothing in these guys. I mean, it's hard, it's hard work to kill people. But this also kind of... I don't remember, we've seen this a couple times, where these kind of random punishments are made. Like, God didn't say... Correct. Somebody sinned and they have to die. That's right. That's why... That would be really hard. Correct. Now, if yeah. God had said that, he'd have to die. Yeah. But because an irrational Right. We've leader, seen this a few times where, like, yeah. these kind of arbitrary... 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Emotional decrees mm-hmm. yeah. blurted out without yeah. without you. consulting the Lord. Thank you for not blurting out that I should ever die. Hey, I want to point one thing out here, though. Just this chapter specifically, maybe even these two chapters, really, really a good study in good leadership and bad leadership. Because we see in Jonathan, the result of good leadership is that he did on his own without jeopardizing the lives of other soldiers. He went with one person to go destroy a garrison. It's scary. But he didn't do it foolishly. He waited to make sure it was of God. And then he moved. Yeah. Okay. And he won because of that. Now, against uh, against odds, for so sure. Yeah. He humbled himself to it. Yeah. He humbled himself to the Lord and to the, the men that would fight with him. He did not do it for glory. He did it for the kingdom of Israel. What was his dad doing? Yeah. He was under a pomegranate tree. Yeah. Well, and even though it was this kind of arbitrary rule, he didn't even know that he wasn't supposed to eat anything. He still told the truth about it. Yeah. That shows... Integrity. That's the the leader you want. Mm Mm-hmm. Saul's not, Jonathan is. And the men showed that. The men are like, you're not going to kill him. Right. You're not going to kill him. I wonder if Jonathan... It sounds like he really was like, I guess... Like, I'm sure he was scared to say that, you know? I don't think he was scared. I think he, he was noble. Do you think that he knew that people would probably, because he was noble, that Not people would... Not at all. I don't so think he, he was just ready to take it? And that's the leader in him. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Where are we at? Psalm. Hold on now. 24 and 25. Psalm 24 and 25. While you get there, I'm going to read my little intro. I'm going to get there. Beginning with a hymn of praise to God, the owner and creator of the whole earth, David then instructs perspective worshipers and concludes with an anthem to the king of glory david may have composed the psalm when he brought the ark to jerusalem in second samuel 6 coming up coming up or on one of the anniversaries of that occasion and verse one i comment while i'm here the commentary says god owns everything because he made everything all right the earth is the lord's and all it contains the world and those who dwell in it for he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord? And who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to falsehood and has not sworn deceitfully. He shall receive a blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, even Jacob. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts, he is the King of glory. Is it just me? Is there like a song like in your head? Oh, I know this song. The third day song? I was thinking of the Vineyard. Um, I had a worship song back in the nineties. Okay. Well, was I was, um, I was in grade school. So, oh, I understand. Go ahead. Why don't you sing us a little uh, Mac Powell? His name is Jesus. Come on. Precious Jesus, Lord Almighty, King of my heart, King of glory, or King of heaven. You're doing Do great. you know it? 
Who is I do, but I've, okay. I've lost the melody just listening to it. Who is this king of glory, yeah. son of God and son of man? Yeah, so that was inspired from this. So I, I, I mentioned uh, in, the, in the last um, podcast that we were, uh, if you read Psalm 22, 23, and 24, you could find the thread of Messiah all the way through his resurrection and ascension. So I would, I would argue this, that when we see who may ascend the mountain of Yahweh, who may stand in his holy place, he who is innocent of, uh, he has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to an idol or to anything that was false, who does not swear, but that is not any man can claim that. Mm-mm. No man can, but one can. The one who ascends is Christ, is the Messiah. So I want you to use a little bit of some some artistic license with me for a sec. Yeah. When we know we know that Christ descended to the dead, and then He ascended with them in His train, we know that we'll we'll read that later. So if you can see this in a prophetic light, those in the train of Yahweh, or I'm sorry, not of Yahweh, of of Christ, of Messiah Yeshua going up to heaven and they are with the glorified Christ and they are saying to the gatekeepers, if you will, and they're saying to them, lift up your heads. Those are the locks that lock the gates. The heads are the locks. There's giant, giant locks that come down across the two doors. Boom. Those are called the heads. So they're saying, lift up your heads, rise up you ancient doors that the King of glory may enter. And the question of, well, who's the king of glory? This is heaven, man. The king of glory is Yahweh, strong and mighty, Yahweh mighty in war. That is so cool to think of it, man. This is the risen son of God. He is coming home with us. Now let us in. Can mm. you just see that? I just, every time I read this psalm, I am overtaken with that imagery of Jesus in his train bringing the captives home. Hmm. And he is glorified and almost unrecognizable to those who are keeping the gate. Hmm. Isn't that cool to think of? They're like, who's this? This is the king of glory? I know the king of glory. It doesn't look like him. This is Yahweh, the mighty one. The one who's redeemed us and taken us out of death. Hmm. It's an awesome imagery. So I read for that 7 to 10. In yeah. David's time, the king of glory was represented by the ark being brought in a triumphal mm-hmm. procession to the sanctuary. These verses also speak prophetically to the ascension of Christ after his victory over sin and death. What? And of his coming reign as king over all the earth. I'm just saying. Yeah. Thank you, Ryrie. So can I just read the king? Because I think it does okay. kind of ties it together. Let's do it. Thank you, Mac Powell. Here Matt we go. Mac Powell. Okay. Um, who is this king of glory that pursues me with his love and haunts me with each hearing of his softly spoken words? My conscience, a reminder of forgiveness that I need. Who is this king of glory who offers it to me? Who is this king of angels, a blessed prince of peace, revealing things of heaven and all its mysteries? My spirit's ever longing for his grace in which to stand. Who is this king of glory, son of God and son of man? His name is Jesus, precious Jesus. The Lord Almighty, King of my heart, the King of glory. Who is this King of glory with strength and majesty? 
and wisdom beyond measure, the gracious King of kings, the Lord of earth and heaven, the creator of all things. Who is this King of glory? He's everything to me. The Lord of earth and heaven, the creator of all things. He's the King of glory. He's everything to me. It's kind of cool how that like brings that all together, right? Isn't it? Yeah. So I hope you don't ever read Psalm 24 the same. That's a huge chunk of prophecy right there. And the very first line for 25 is... Oh, boy. She's on a, she's on a tear. Is, to you, O Lord, I lift my soul. Come on. I mean, that's like another third day song. It's like my... You think they were they were I'm, taking some devotional time? I'm thinking maybe. Did they do one on Psalm 23? Uh, I bet you they did. I, I bet they did. Because that one is... Um, oh, come on. You know? To you, O Lord, I lift my soul. Go, girl. I know it. Go on. Do not let me be put to shame, nor let my enemies triumph over me. There it is. My hope is you. You know this. <laughs> I love it. I Don't love you know it. it? I do know it. You know, you think they wrote this amazing song. It's Psalms. It's Psalms. Hey, Plagiarize. You, you two did 40? Yep. It's Psalm 40. All right. Okay. Okay, so 25. In this psalm, David petitions the Lord for protection, guidance, and pardon. Describes some of the attributes of God and prays for deliverance. With minor exceptions, each verse of this alphabetical acrostic psalm begins with successive letters of the Hebrew alphabet. I do not speak Hebrew, so I will not be telling you that acrostic. Okay. To you, O Lord. See, I, I'm just thinking, I just hear his... To you, O Lord. Doesn't he have such Sorry, a good Matt. voice, too? He's got a great southern rock kind of I mean, thing. like, you wouldn't want to mess with him. He's going, on, he's going on tour. I would have a feeling that he could be scary. I don't know. If you wanted to. You think so? That voice. Scare you? Not like I'm intimidate. Really? I don't find him, like, frightening. Okay. Anyway, just let's read. Let's read Psalm 25. Right. To you, Lord, I lift up my soul. Oh, my God, in you I trust. Do not let me be ashamed. Do not let my enemies exult over me. Indeed, none of those who wait for you will be ashamed. Those who deal treacherously without cause will be ashamed. Make me know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day. Remember, O Lord, your compassion and your loving kindness. For they have been... Of old, from of old. Do not remember the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your loving kindness, remember me, for your goodness' sake, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, He instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in justice, and He teaches the humble His way. All the paths of the Lord are loving kindness and truth to those who keep His covenant and His testimonies. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my iniquity, for it is great. Who is the man who fears the Lord? He will instruct him in the way he should choose. His soul will abide in prosperity, and his descendants will inherit the land. The secret of the Lord is for those who fear him, and he will make them know his covenant. My eyes are continually toward the Lord, for he will pluck my feet out of the net. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distresses. Look upon my affliction and my trouble, and forgive all my sins. Look upon my enemies, for they are many, and they hate me with violent hatred. Guard my soul and deliver me. Do not let me be ashamed, for I take refuge in you. Let integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. 
Redeem Israel, O God, out of all its troubles. Man, some of this feels like it's still pretty awesome today, you know? Are you you saying that the Word of God is as relevant today as it was a couple thousand years ago? Um, We should lift our souls up to God. Mm -hmm. We should trust God. Mm -hmm. We could very well be ashamed every day. Um, we can feel oppressed by enemies, mm-hmm. not as oppressed as our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan right now. Come on. Right? Come on. Like this psalm, I bet you there's somebody in Afghanistan reading this right now. I know I would read. Right? Do not let my enemies exult over me. And then there's this hope here. Indeed, none of those who wait for you will be ashamed. Those who deal treacherously without cause will be ashamed. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I don't wish for people to die that are oppressing me. Like, that's just, I don't quite go there. But I've never been truly oppressed. It's true. Right? But this is hope for people that are in the middle of really scary stuff, right? Come on, Pomeranian. Right, babe? Yeah. Make me know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. That's pretty relevant today. So if you were to actually look at this in comparison to what we just got done reading about Saul. Yeah. This is what I mean by God chose David after his own heart. Mm-hmm. David never, even though he sinned, mm-hmm. he never stopped pressing in yeah. and wanting to know Yahweh. Mm-hmm. Because he knew he was always just a little too far away. Mm-hmm. He always wanted to be closer. Yep. Lead and me in your Saul truth. never sought the Lord in the same manner. Yeah. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day. We're still taught to wait on the Lord, mm-hmm. meditate on his word. Remember, O oh Lord, your compassion and your loving kindness. I, I need that. Do you yes. need that? Yes, every day. For they have been from of old, because God doesn't change. Mm-hmm. Right? That's right. Do not remember the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your loving kindness, remember me. For your goodness sake, O oh Lord. This is all... Okay, for this, 25... This is a we can have today. Yeah, for real. Um, 25, 6 or 7. Remember your long-standing mercy and love, but do not remember the long-ago sins of my youth. Yeah. Isn't that, like, totally what we have to ask? Well, that's one of the things. We can't forget, forget our sins. They're always in front of us in our failures. Mm-hmm. And so in David's plea here, he is, he's like, step one... Remember this. Remember the righteous thing. Remember remember me on this. But please don't remember my sin. This is him asking for forgiveness and asking him, please don't hold these things against me. Yep. That's repentance. That's that's remorse. Because he feels the guilt of his sin. Mm-hmm. I can relate. Yeah. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in the way. Again, there's that hope, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. He leads the humble in justice. Ooh. And he teaches the humble his way. Mm-hmm. So we're not left alone to figure it out. All the paths of the Lord are loving kindness and truth to those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. For your namesake, O Lord, pardon my iniquity, for it is great. So not like, like think of Saul. He's like, well, it's... It's Samuel's fault he was late. You know? Yeah. 
instead he, of realizing well, his he his great himself. his great need for forgiveness and mm-hmm. mercy, right? Which, Which we all want? do. We all yeah. do. Who is the man who fears the Lord? He will instruct him in the he, he will instruct him in the way he should choose. His soul will abide in prosperity, and his descendants will inherit the land. The secret for the, of the Lord is for those who fear him, and mm-hmm. he will make him know his covenant. I like that too, because that shows that like it's even God's grace and God's mercy that lets us even understand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like we can't even take we can't even take her for that. Yeah, we can't. We can't say, I figured this out. I got it. I got it. I'm pretty smart. I understand that. I've been meditating on this for like a week. I got it. And that's why this is a weird thought, babe. Because I really, I really truly believe we'll keep doing this, right? Yeah. So every year, we're going to live for another 80 years, right? Pretty much. Right. We're going to read the psalm like 80 more times. I know. I was thinking about that the other day. And there's going to be like new stuff in it. Or we can be like... Remember this last year? This was like a really cool, you know? Yeah. All right. We'll have different insights. Yeah. We just will. Be, not because of us. Nope. Because of the Lord. Because. Because of where we're at at the time make, we read it. He will make them know his covenant. Yeah. yeah. My eyes are continually toward the Lord, for he will pluck my feet out of the net. Mm. Like, if you are in it right now, mm-hmm. that's like, it's not always going to be like that. And even if you feel like you're like, I mean, in a net. I'm picturing, like, somebody, like, in a cartoon where they're, like, sure. trapped and they're, like, hanging from a yeah. tree, you know? And God's, like, pulling them out of that net. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. This, to me, totally for people that struggle with anxiety and depression. Like, I have mm. looked at these verses. I don't know if you ever have. That's really good. Oh, this is, like, one that I've gone to. This is Most, really mostly good. Mostly a Bible roulette. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> Psalms is always a good one. It's either like, oh, this one's all about like killing my enemies and destroying them and eating them or whatever. Um, but turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. The mm. troubles of my heart are enlarged. I mean, that is like, you're like, in, you know how it is like when your heart is heavy and you feel like. Yeah, that one little that thing. That heaviness is, inside of you. To somebody, that little thing is not, it's it's just a little thing, but that same thing to you suffering that moment of anxiety, it's the last straw. It's huge. Yeah. It's un, uh, unimaginable. Yep. So turn to me and be gracious. It's He's like pouring out his heart, right? Absolutely. Bring me out of my distress. He's begging. He's begging. Yeah. Look upon my affliction and my trouble and forgive all my sins. Again, mm-hmm. It's so easy to be like, I don't deserve this. Well, he's also, this is part of the Jewish culture in this. He is covering his bases, thinking these bad things are occurring in my life because I have sin. So I'm going to confess my sin in order to clear the table so this stuff won't afflict me. Yeah. Yeah. Commentary says confession and forgiveness are necessary for deliverance. Mm Mm-hmm. Look upon my enemies, for they are many, and they hate me with violent hatred. Guard my soul and deliver me. Do not let me be ashamed, for I take refuge in you. Let integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. So we wait in the midst of suffering. We keep integrity. And uprightness. We don't sin. We don't pursue sinful things. We don't pursue selfish agenda to compensate for 
what we think is a lack of God's presence. It's a pretty big deal. And then to sum it up, redeem Israel, O God, out of all its troubles. And it says, what David has prayed for himself, he also prays for the nation. Absolutely. So redeem America, O God, out of all its troubles. Yeah. Redeem country where you live. (laughs) All of us. Yeah. How about redeem is the thought of to... Uh, to buy back or to win back from a place where it does not belong. Mm -hmm. To ransom Mm -hmm. and restore. I thought that'd be a cool... Because I want to add to my tattoo. Yeah, my lady's got ink. Sorry, Keith, if you're like, that's forbidden. I have looked at the verse. Keith isn't. I, I don't know. I don't want to cause anybody to... Come on, Keith. You know? I don't know. I don't want anybody to, to think that I'm not following the same stuff we're reading about. I do believe, though, it was about a, a pagan practice of mourning. I think we're okay at this point. Okay. Hey, babe. What was your, what was, where are we going? Um, we, we did First Samuel. We did Psalm. We're moving on to Let's Lament a little bit. We're going to finish up Lamentations tonight, four and five. And I think because it's called Lamentations, it might stay sad. Sorry, guys. I don't think there's a happy ending here. Lamentations chapter four. Let me... I'm scrolling. That was like kind of heavy, babe. It was yeah. kind of cool. You were you were flowing, man. The Lord was just speaking to you right there. It was awesome. I love it when the Word of God just speaks to us. And that, oh, I'll just say it because you'll hear us say it a lot. If you want to hear God speaking to you, open your Bible and start reading. Yeah. I was just thinking <clears throat> when we were reading this that if anybody ever actually does listen to this, and I just got like a morbid thought, like maybe after I'm dead and like the girls listen to it. So sad. I would hope they hear it before then. That's really sad. This is a permanent record of It's like faith. a journal. It's awesome. Yeah. Thanks, Keith. Um for no, 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 I have like a cool thing. Oh, go. Like, if anybody's listening to this and they're like, you know, this sounds kinda cool for them, I just don't see it happening for me. I am thirty nine, just kidding. <laughs> Forty two years old. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Celebrating the third anniversary of her 39th birthday. Yeah. I'm 42 and proud. Yeah, going you are. on 43. Young good. <laughs> Always going to be younger and hotter. Always. Well, not hotter. Yeah, you are. You say that. That sounds like I'm conceited. Oh, she hot. Okay. Um. Now everybody's like going to look us up. You can't. We're not there. Um. Anyway, 42. I prayed off and on, sometimes not as well as others. I prayed for a desire to read the Bible. And I think it's really cool because I remember reading verses like ask for whatever um, in my name and he will give it to us. And he did. Totally did. So if you need encouragement, it's it's never too late. No, no it's and not. And God really does honor um, even our feeble steps. So Absolutely. I'm just very encouraged. 
which kind of surprises me because I'm an emotional wreck. Okay. I would. I want to caveat that. Then we'll read this. Okay. The reason we're doing this, recording this, and doing this together, because I I feel, based on what's happening to our marriage, that every married couple should read the Bible out loud together, even if you don't go through a regular plan. Or you want one, there are so many online. You can go to Bible Gateway, you can go to YouVersion, so many online plans. But if you even just pick one chapter from a book and read a chapter a day with your spouse, it is transformational. I cannot specify that enough. I can't say it enough. I can't say it loud enough. It will change your marriage because it will change you. Read the Word of God every day with your spouse. And then bring your children in on it too. Don't exclude them. And also don't force it. If they say, what do you guys do? And say, sit down and read with us. Why don't you read a chapter? Yeah, it's been kind of cool. Emily's yeah. done that some. Yeah, She's I don't want to force her though. You're right. No, but at 10 years old, there are times she wants to read with us. Mm-hmm. When we went through um, Ruth, she wanted to be part of that. Mm-hmm. We go through limitations, I'm out. That's okay. <laughs> Here we go. Chapter 4, Lamentations. (laughs) How the gold has grown dim. The pure gold has changed. The stones of holiness are scattered at the head of every street. The precious sons of Zion weighed against fine gold. How How they are thought of as earthen vessels of clay. The work of the potter's hands. Even the jackal bears the beast and nurses her cubs. But the daughter of my people has become ruthless, like ostriches in the wild. The tongue of the nursling cleaves to its palate in thirst. Children beg for food. No one lays it out before them. The ones who eat delicacies, they are ruined in the streets. The ones nurturing purple lie on piles of trash. The iniquity of the daughter of my people is greater in the sin of Sodom. It was overthrown in a moment, and no hands were laid on her. Her princes were purer than snow. They were whiter than milk. Their bodies were more ruddy than rubies, sapphire their appearance. Now their appearance is blacker than soot. They are not recognized in the streets. Their skin is shriveled on their bones. It has become like dry wood. Happier were the victims of the sword than the victims of famine. They have pined away very hungry for the crops of my field. The hands of compassionate women have cooked their children. They came as something to eat in the destruction of the daughter of my people. Yahweh has completed his anger. He has poured out his fierce anger. He has kindled a fire in Zion. It consumed her foundations. The kings of the earth did not believe and all the inhabitants of the world that a foe and an enemy would enter into the gates of Jerusalem. Because of the sins of her prophets, the guilt of her priests, who shed blood in her midst of righteous people. They wandered blindly in the streets. They were defiled with the blood. Their clothes could not be touched. Go away, defiled, they shout to them. Go away, go away, don't touch. So they left, they left. It was said among the nations, they will no longer dwell with us. The presence of Yahweh has scattered them. He will no longer watch over them. They did not honor the priest. They did not show mercy to elders. Still our eyes failed. 
looking for our help in vain in our watchtower, or we have, we have kept watch for a nation that would not save. They hunted our steps from walking in our streets. Our end has come near. Our days are finished. Our end has come. Our pursuers are swifter than the eagles of the heavens. They chased us on the mountains. They have set an ambush for us in the desert. The breath of our nostrils, the anointed one of Yahweh, has captured in their pits. Of whom he said, we said, in his shadow we will live among the nations. Rejoice and be glad, O daughter of Edom, you who dwell in the land of Uz. But to you also the cup will pass. You will become drunk and strip yourself bare. The punishment of your iniquity is completed, O daughter of Zion. Your exile will not continue, but we he will punish your iniquity, O daughter of Eden. He will reveal your sins. Boom. Yeah, I don't, I don't really know what. You're right with that. You got something. Um, for. Um, it says, okay, I'm not going to say the verses. I'm just going to kind of give commentary because it goes with it. In the siege of Jerusalem, children received worse treatment than the offspring of animals. Um, reared in purple is a sign of the wealthy because I think mm-hmm. purple dye was expensive, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, no hands were turned toward her. The meaning of the, f- this is from 4-6, right. the daughter of iniquity, iniquity of the daughter of my people. Um no hands returned toward her. The meaning of this phrase is unclear. It may mean that Sodom's destruction was directly from the hand of God rather than through human hands, or it may mean that there was it was so sudden that there was no time for anyone to wring his hands, no time to panic. Because mm. um, it says, greater than the sin of Sodom, which was overthrown in a moment, and no hands were turned toward her. Because you can't even help somebody. That's right. It's the airline attendant method. Put your mask over your face. Oh. Then help your children. Consecrated ones. Better her nobles. Leaders became emaciated for lack of food, and parents ate their own children. They did. I've got I, I've got the right they here. They ate after they died, at least, right? You can see Lamentations 2.20, 2 Kings 6.29, and Jeremiah 19.9. So the note in Jeremiah... Um, I mean, yikes. Let's see here. If I say anything. Eat the, on the top, babe. 19. Eat there's, the flesh of their sons. Uh, I will cause them to eat the flesh of their sons. They will resort to cannibalism due to the shortage of food from the siege. See Ezekiel 5.10. Compare Lamentations 2.20. 4.10. And Isaiah 9.20. And then 4.15. About the false prophets. Oh, yeah. This the one false prophets and priests of Judah. From verse 13 when their true character was recognized, were treated like lepers. Mm. Defiled. They shall not continue to dwell with us. Because they were like, what? You said peace, peace. Peace, peace. And then 17, the nation that could not save is Egypt. And then the Lord's anointed for 20... The breath of our nostrils, the Lord's anointed, was captured in their pits. Um, King Zedekiah, who tried to escape, but was captured, blinded, and taken to Babylon. And then Edom, in 21, the latter daughter of Edom. Although Edom was allotted the rural areas of Judah by Nebuchadnezzar, 
she would eventually drink the cup of God's wrath. Okay. Yeah. Where are we going? Five. Five. Finish it up. Oh, five. Okay. All right. <clears throat> okay, I'll just... A um, little intro. Verses 1 through 18. A description of the affliction, disgrace, and despondency of the Jews under their Babylonian captors. All right. Yeah. Here we go. Chapter 5. Remember, O Yahweh, what has become of us. Take note and see our disgrace. Our inheritance has been turned over to strangers, our houses to foreigners. We have become orphans, fatherless. Our mothers are like widows. We pay for water with money. The crown has fallen from our head. Woe to us, for we have sinned. Because of this, our heart has become faint. Because of these, our eyes have become dim. Because of Mount Zion, which lies desolate, foxes tread on it. You, O Yahweh, will sit forever on your throne for generation to generation. Are you? What happened? Did I skip? Limitations 5? Limitations 5? Mine is so much longer than yours. Oh, whoa, wait a minute. I don't know why, but my, my translation here in the Lexum jumped 12 verses. Guys, I'm so sorry. Um, mine, for whatever reason, I don't know why, it jumps from verse 4 to verse 16, and then it ends in verse 22. Yeah. What in the world? Can we read it? My apologies. Um, yeah, go right ahead. Okay. Take, well, it from, take it from verse 5. Okay. Our pursuers are at our necks. We are worn out, for there is no rest for us. We have submitted to Egypt and Assyria to get enough bread. Our fathers sinned and are no more. It is we who are who have borne their iniquities. Slaves rule over us. There is no one to deliver us from their hands. We get our bread at the risk of our lives because of the sword in the wilderness. Our skin has become as hot as an oven because of the burning heat of famine. They ravaged the women in Zion, the virgins in the cities of Judah. Princes were hung by their hands. Elders were not respected. Young men worked at the grinding mill, and youths stumbled under loads of wood. Elders are gone from the gate, young men from their music. The joy of our hearts has ceased. Our dancing has been turned into mourning. The crown has fallen from our head. Woe to us, for we have sinned. Because of this, our heart is faint. Because of these things, our eyes are dim. Because of Mount Zion, which lies desolate, foxes prowl in it. You, O Lord, rule forever. Your throne is from generation to generation. Why do you forget us forever? Why do you forsake us so long? Restore us to you, O Lord, that we may be restored. Renew our days as of old, unless you have utterly rejected us and are exceedingly angry with us. Mm -hmm. um, not too many notes here. 512. Hanging the bodies after execution was an added indignity. Princes were hung by their hands. Um, to grind grain considered to be women's work was demeaning for men. Young men worked at the grinding mill. Way. Um, 16. The crown has fallen from our head. Woe to us for we have sinned. The fallen crown illustrates Jerusalem's lost glory. 522, like Malachi, this book ends on a negative note. Therefore, when it was publicly read, verse 21 was customarily repeated after the reading of verse 22. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> because you got it in with a little pet. So, unless you've rejected us, we are exceedingly angry with us. Restore us to you, O Lord, that we may be restored renew our days of old. That's funny. 
I like that. All right. All right, where are we going? Um, last but not least, Second Peter 1. It was split into two halves, but we're going to read the whole thing because we're... Um, so Second Peter, it's the start of a new mm-hmm. um, I think it's pretty short, the little intro here. Yeah. Um, so it was written in 66, the year before he was martyred. Um, it was written by Peter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Many have suggested that someone other than Peter wrote this letter after AD 80 because of number one differences in style. Number two, it's supposed dependence on Jude. And number three, the mention of Paul's letters having been collected. However, using a different scribe or no scribe would also have resulted in stylistic changes. There's no reason why Peter should not have borrowed from Jude, though it was more likely that Jude is written later than 2 Peter. And 3.16 does not necessarily refer to all of Paul's letters, but only those written up to that time. Furthermore, similarities between 1 and 2 Peter point to the same author, and its acceptance in the canon demands apostolic authority behind it. Assuming Peter Petrine, did I say that right? Mm-hmm. Authorship, the letter was written just before its, his martyrdom in 67 and most likely from Rome. The letter is a reminder of the truth of Christianity as opposed to the heresies of false teachers. Important passages include those concerning the transfiguration, the inspiration of scripture, and the certainty of the second coming of Christ. You are working on commentary. What? I love it. I'm just reading it. I love it. I hope you all appreciate that. Here we go. Let's see. If all the verses are there, it should be just fine. Simon Peter, a slave and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith equal in value to ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of our Lord Jesus, because his divine power has bestowed on us all things that are necessary for life and godliness through the knowledge of the one who called us by his own glory and excellence of character, through which he has bestowed on us his precious and very great promises, so that through these you may become sharers of the divine nature after escaping from the corruption that is in the world because of evil desire and for the same reason and by applying all diligence supply with your faith excellence of character and with excellence of character knowledge and with knowledge self-control and self-control patience and with patience godliness and with godliness brotherly love and with brotherly love love that was all one sentence verse two Love how Peter uses the big old punctuational sentences. <laughs> I love it. This is one of my single favorite passages. I'm just being editorial here. Yeah. There is such wealth in here. When I have heard people talk about wanting to know their their the God's plan for their life or um, how do I get through this and I don't feel for that. Right there in verse 3. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. And so the question is, well, how do you do that? Through the knowledge, the relationship of the one who called us by his own glory and excellence and character. Who's that? Jesus. Jesus. That's huge. So through my relationship with Jesus, 
I already have everything I need to live this life and to walk in godliness. Yep. Why don't we? We're still... Um... We, we don't know it. We, I, I, seriously, it's kind of rhetorical, but we just don't believe it. Well, it's also the life of... We have to keep growing in sanctification and maturity, too. Sure. I think I see this as we have the potential, but it's not like a snap and you have it thing. Mm-hmm. He's given it to us. It's at our disposal. Yeah. But I don't think we really take hold of, we clearly well, don't we, take hold of everything that is offered to us. We're, and we see here, I'm going to skip over to. Ooh, can I use an analogy? Go. We're far too easily pleased with what we think we have we think that we think that our meager amount that we have of knowledge Mm -hmm. and faith is enough and oh what is it it's that's my story thing that i made moving along okay go ahead all right well what i want to share is that in verse five um this is huge so He's given us everything in life and godliness. Well, look at verse 5. By applying all diligence, supply with your faith excellence of character. And with excellence of character, supply knowledge. So mine says moral excellence. Sure. Instead of excellent character, moral excellence. So we're talking about the character of a man or character of a woman. Um, And by that we're talking about uh, how are, wh- where's your integrity at? Yep. Okay. Um, with knowledge, self-control. With self-control, patient endurance. Patient endurance, godliness. Add to godliness, brotherly love. Add to brotherly love, love. And here's the kicker, verse 8. Let's pick it up. If you possess these things... In increasing measure, this does not make you useless or unproductive in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. It keeps you from being unproductive because each one of these traits we just read from verse 5 and 6 and 7 are not a one and done. Okay, you, you did this. You're great. No, once you get through that list, think of this. You continue to go back and you add, you build up again and you build up again and you build up again. And that's the pathway of maturity. Because then you are, I love this, for if you possess these things in ever-increasing measures, it will keep you from being useless and unproductive in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. You're going to, it's just beautiful. Mm -hmm. It's beautiful. Verse 9, for the one for whom these things are not present, you don't have this in your life, you are blind, being nearsighted, and have forgotten the cleansing of your sin. What is your passage saying, verse 9? Um, my commentary on my passage. Hey, just read the verse. He who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Commentary says, without these qualities, from 8 and 9, um, a believer will be useless and unfruitful, having closed his eyes to his responsibilities and having forgotten the former sins from which he was saved. The believer. That's key. We're yeah. not talking about the world here. We're talking right. about Christians. Yeah. Therefore, brothers, Christians, be zealous even more to make your calling and election secure. 
Because if you do these things, you will never, ever stumble. For in this way, entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be richly supplied for you. Therefore, I intend to remind you continually concerning these things, although you know them and are established in the truth that you have, but I consider it right for as long as I am in this habitation, in this body, uh, to stir you up by a reminder, because I know that the removal of my body is imminent. He's about to die. As indeed our Lord Jesus Christ made it clear to me, and I will also make every effort that you are able at any time after my departure to recall these things to mind. For we did not make it known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ by following ingenuously concocted myths, and but by being eyewitnesses of that one's majesty. Ooh. Say it again. For we did not make known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ by following concocted myths, but by being eyewitnesses of the one's majesty. For he received honor and glory from God the Father when a voice such as this was brought to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And we ourselves heard that voice brought from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain, and we possess as more reliable the prophetic word to which you do well if you pay attention to it as to a lamp shining in a dark place. Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, recognize this above all, that every prophecy of Scripture does not come about from one, one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men carried along by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. Snap. Yeah. Sorry. Our dog. We have a dog. Is, um, that's that's a rat. That's so, a. Hey, stop. That's a beautiful sound. Stop! 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 Uh, stop. Okay, so commentary for verses twenty and twenty-one, but um, so the verse for twenty. But know this first of all that no prophecy of scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. One's own interpretation. Several meanings are possible. So several meanings are possible. Either prophecies must be interpreted in the light of other scriptures, which I love that assurance. Yeah. Prophecies are often capable of several fulfillments, or prophecies must be interpreted only with God's help since they were given only as the prophets were moved by God and not by any impulse of man. And then 21, for no prophecy has ever been made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. So made and moved translate the same word, carried or born. So no men carried or born by the Holy Spirit spoke from God, indicating that man's will did not originate scripture. Yet men were involved as the Holy Spirit bore them along as they wrote, guarding them from writing error and guarding... Guiding them to write God's word to us. See yeah. note on Second Timothy three sixteen. For God's word is sharper than it. It's it's breathed. It's for reproof. God breathed, right? Yep, right. Yep. Yep. Um. Verse, oh, Second Timothy three sixteen. Yeah. Okay. Anyway. Um, lots of stuff in that chapter. Do yeah. You, I mean, it seems stylistically similar to me. To what? To First Peter, like, yeah. did, has it ever seemed to you that 
Oh, I never saw that as anything different. Okay. They never caught me off guard. There was anything like that. Doesn't really sound like that. Okay. And also, it goes along with the fact that um, he was an eyewitness. Yeah. I'm, That's a pretty I, big statement. I was actually thinking about that very thing that um, when Peter is actually sharing the retelling of the voice, I was thinking all those decades before when it happened, that is that moment in his life he had never forgotten. How could it, you, right? It shaped him. It shaped him. All these years later, he's still recounting that. Yeah. I mean, I I have a couple probably events in my life that I could that recount are like really that vivid. were yeah, they're yeah. vivid, they shaped me, but man, nothing like that. That was amazing. So, yeah, I I remember there was a time, I think it was in my 20s, and maybe I was even in college, and I was kind of in a season of doubt, and I didn't really have a lot of people I could go to to that really knew the Bible and to really like walk me through it. Yeah. And, um, I remember I was visiting, it must've been in college cause I was staying with my parents and it was Easter Sunday. So I was probably home for spring break and didn't really love going to church with them, mm-hmm. trying to be as kind as I can be just in case, you know? And, um, and I was kind of like, we'll see. And I went and the sermon was about doubt. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, this is kind of weird on Easter Sunday. Because I thought it would be the typical Easter message, right? Mm-hmm. And so he talked about the fact that if Jesus wasn't really who he said he was, and if he didn't really raise from the dead, which I didn't really doubt that part. I think it was my whole, how could God send people he loved to hell? You know, that yeah, kind of yeah. stuff. Yeah. Um, he, but... He just said, you know, if he really wasn't exactly who he said he was, maybe I was kind of struggling with, like, is universalism a way to reconcile that? You know what I mean? Mm, okay. Um, but I, that's one of those kind of moments that kind of sticks out to me was that sermon. And he was like, what was it, like 11 out of 12 or really 10 out of 11 of the the apostles were martyred, right? Yeah. And he was like, don't you think that if it wasn't really true that at least one of them would have said, you know what? Hold on. Like I'm was, not going to yeah. die over a conspiracy thing that I was part of. I was playing. I was playing. We move the body. Don't kill me. Like people will denounce things just to not die that are true. Yeah. And then he talked about Peter even, you know, just the horrific ways that a lot of them did die. Like, yeah. it wasn't a nice, peaceful way that, you know, they got to go peacefully. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, that reminded me of that from this passage where he was just like, I saw, like... I'm on the mountain. Yeah. I saw the transfiguration. I heard the voice myself. I am a living witness to this moment. Mm-hmm. And I'm about to die. I'm at the end of my life. So, to me, it's like... These are the things that he just could not leave the earth without reinforcing. Exactly. So let's do this. We're at the end of our study. Thank you so much for reading along with us. Um, and if you had to pause and come back a few times, we understand. But stick around with us. Please keep reading together. 
I know it's hard to read and then we break off and start talking. Um, please forgive us. We're probably going to keep doing that, though. Hope you like it. At the very least, um, read the scriptures by yourself of what we did, you know, without us. But hopefully somehow this works with you. I want, to, oh, I want to suggest something. Though. I want to suggest something real quick. Okay. If you had that moment that Peter had, that one moment in your life, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, uh, feel free to write us that story. I'd like to know. I'd like my faith encouraged. Do you have a moment where something occurred in your walk with the Lord in that time of, of shaping your walk that you've never forgotten? You remember every detail. And if you have that story you want to share it with us, email us. Here's our email, Andrea and Mark A at gmail.com. That's Andrea, the letter N, Mark with a K, the letter A at gmail.com. If you email us a, a story, um, we'd, like to hear, we'd like to read it, and uh, we'd even like to read it out loud if we can. Now I'm gonna, my, my bride's going to share something here. Well, I just thought... Be kind of fun to like prepare us for the next day to kind of. I think you're here's, right. Here's what's coming. Let's do it. Here's what's coming next. All right. So coming up, we're because we we're gonna keep in First Samuel. We're gonna read Samuel 15. We're gonna read Psalm 26. We're starting Habakkuk. Habakkuk. And First Peter chapter. Sorry, Second Peter chapter 2. Okay. So that's tomorrow. That's tomorrow. Be there or be square. We love the Lord. We love his word. We love doing this with you guys. Uh, pray for us, and we'll keep praying for you. God bless. Bye, Keith. Bye, Keith.